Hello again, and welcome to the latest episode of Curving Conversation, especially if this is your first time listening to this podcast. So far this year, we've chatted with the stars of shows like Waitress and The Osmonds Musical to Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and last month we took you behind the scenes in the rehearsal room with Nikolai Foster and the cast of the new Made at Curve production of Beautiful, the Carol King musical. Well, don't worry if you missed any of them because the episodes are still available and there is so much more to come this year as well. So please check out the latest brochure or go to curveonline.co.uk. In this episode, we're going to talk to dancer, choreographer and director Akram Khan about his reimagining of Rudyard Kipling's much-loved family classic, The Jungle Book. And we'll speak to one of the writers of this summer's community production, Finding Home, Lester's Ugandan Asian story, to mark the 50th anniversary of the Ugandan Asian exodus. But first, let's talk about The Parody Files, a grey-eye theatre company production in partnership with BBC Concert Orchestra and Curve. Here to tell us more about this newly commissioned chamber opera is its originator and co-librettist, Selina Mills. How are you? Hello. Very well, thank you. Before we talk about The Parody Files, just set the scene for us, if you would. Tell us a little bit about grey-eye and the incredible work the company's been doing over four decades now. They are amazing. Um, I started working with them three years ago. Uh, it's a deaf and disability-led theatre company and all the work they do basically promotes and gives disabled people centre stage and they are inclusive, which basically means everything that we do has to include how people would perceive it or hear it, so either British Sign Language or audio description. So there's a, a, it's, it's a fundamental philosophy of the theatre group. And they're amazing. They've been all over the world. Tell us a little bit more about the parody files, because, of course, set in the glittering salons of 18th century Vienna. It is. It is a wonderful story. It's about a blind composer and musician called Maria Teresa von Parody, who was very successful, and she was working in the court... She was blind since very, very early age and she she was a great success in her own time and yet we don't know much about her. A few people know that she existed and that she composed and interestingly, Megan and Harry played her music at their wedding. Ah. But really what's really interesting about her is that she really chose her own life. I mean, she was blind which some people would have imagined, you know, being a woman and blind in the 18th century, not the easiest things to live with. And she was phenomenal. She got out there, she went on tour, she started schools, she had affairs. She was, she was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, you talk about the affairs. Uh, reputedly, one of those was Mozart, wasn't it? Well, we know that he wrote, Mozart wrote to his sister and said, I'm seeing, you know, my, my little shats, which means my little darling, to his sister so we definitely know that they were intimate he actually composed the most beautiful uh, concerto for her and people talked about it. it it was known in the court that Mozart and her were engaged somehow not engaged you know like marriage but they were busy. they weren't having piano lessons that's for sure <laughs> now i mentioned it's a newly commissioned piece directed by jenny seeley with music by erilyn wallen cbe but how long has it taken to get from the initial idea to this stage well we started in 2019 although i think the initial concept came from me doing 10 years of research because i was writing a book about disabled women and i just loved this story particularly it really moved me and then I met Jenny and Jenny was like, I love it. I love this story and that not enough disabled women have a voice. 
and we decided opera was the right platform for her. So essentially, it took um, about four years, but it, it took me 10 years to do the research. And then I met Jenny and then it happened. And um, it was right moment and right time. Everything happened. You know, it came together in the right moment. Do you know, there are so many of these untold stories out there and you've chosen the vehicle of a chamber opera to tell this story, but it's just really important to tell it and get the story out there, isn't it? Definitely. I, I think there's a lot of people on the, I call them the corridors or the hillside of history, and they're there. They're absolutely there. It's just you've got to find them and then you've got to give them a platform. And Teresa in particular was written about medically, and, you know, in the courts, like gossip, because she was with Mozart and everything. But actually, she was super successful. And you have to think that Mozart is buried in a pauper's grave. We don't know where he is in Vienna. And she died with amazing, you know, um, very successful school, very successful musician, and in a huge mausoleum outside Vienna. So it's so important that people... You find the right people and you show them to everyone so they have a voice. And we don't forget them because actually showing that a blind woman in the 18th century could be successful tells a modern person, a modern blind woman, you can do it. And of course, the parody files have now been cast with a blind singer playing the lead role. Yeah, a, a soprano singer called Beth Langford, who's just phenomenal. Um, and she was saying that it's the first time that she sort of knows the character in the sense of because she's had some of the experiences that the character has I talked to her in rehearsal she was saying this is one of the first times she's actually engaged with that and in an opera so it has been a very a big journey for all of us because we're we're all thinking not only about the story that we're portraying but also the experiences that we've all gone through in fact the entire cast we all have a disability somewhere in in there. And we're so lucky that the previews are here at Curve on Friday the 8th and Saturday the 9th of April. Why Curve? Oh, because you're so innovative. And, and I think this is an innovative and unique opera. And I think Curve has got a reputation for really supporting that. And I think that's exactly the right place to be. We're very lucky to have you, actually. We, we feel, you know, privileged to be here. And from Leicester, it moves on to the South Bank Centre for the world premiere before going out on tour and hopefully even further afield because it's really important to get this story out there, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think there's two aspects to it. One is the content, the story itself, which is about a, you know, a woman who was very successful and absolutely deserves a, a platform and a stage. But it's also the actors and the creative crew we're all invested in this and you know we're all disabled in in different ways and we all understand that just because you're disabled doesn't mean that you're not talented or skilled or that you can't you can't do things it's a job as well as a um i think it's something more than a labor of love it's something that we believe in mm. and want to show that we can do well but it's not the only reason we're doing it we're doing it for many reasons. Well, I'm sure it's going to be a major success. Grey Eye Theatre Productions, newly commissioned The Parody Files, opens at Curve for previews on the 8th and 9th of April. Co-librettist and originator Selena Mills, thank you for talking to us. Thank you for having me.
Well, next on this episode, Curve will mark the 50th anniversary of the Ugandan Asian Exodus with a made at Curve community production this summer called Finding Home, Leicester's Ugandan Asian story at 50, and local community members are being invited to get creative and take part. One of the writers is actress and Team Curve member Chandni Mystery. How are you? Hello, I'm really well, thank you. <laughs> First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself because I mentioned you're a member of Team Curve, but you're also no stranger to Curve as a performer either. Yeah, that's true. Um, I was, so my first experience at Curve was a couple of years ago, I was doing George's Marvellous Medicine. That was their Christmas show. Um, and I played the chicken. So <laughs> you might have come along with your kids. And then since then, uh, you know, I've been doing lots of different jobs, touring around as an actress. And I've moved to Leicester. I live in Leicester again. I'm from Leicester originally, but I'm back here now. So it's just nice to be able to work in your theatre, you know, amongst you know, people that you know and bring those communities in, really. So it's exciting. And in terms of being a Team Curve member, you're actually a creative programmes practitioner. What does that mean? What do you do? So what it means is I'm part of the team that really kind of looks to get out into the community. So it's really exciting time, actually, because we've got loads of different projects that we're working on. Um, one of the ones I'm doing that I'm, you know, really loving at the moment is I'm going out to a school and we've they're, they're called school hubs. So they actually get to have, the, the, the school kids get to have us come into their school and run a workshop every week. And with the idea that over summer, we they will come in and do an actual performance in the studio space. So I'm working with Moat College at the moment mm-hmm. and it's 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 brilliant because a lot of the young people that I'm working with they're year seven, year eight, they actually before I went a couple of weeks ago had never even heard of Curve and Curve is a ten minute walk from their school. So to sort of go from that to now having them they came to the Curve last week to see our theatre day which was for beautiful and experience that that was their first time coming to the building ever and now they're coming again in a couple of days to watch billionaire boys and hopefully they'll be the generation in the future that will be the actors and actresses coming in here to perform or working here you know it's it's making those links which is exciting really and that's a really important aspect of curve isn't it because it aims to be inclusive but inclusiveness doesn't necessarily mean people coming into the building it can also mean taking the building and what it stands for out to them exactly that and i think that's so important because you know it is a building in leicester that people sort of don't come to because they think well unless I'm coming to a show there which is not everybody um, I'm not going to go and actually it's a really open space we've got space that you can come and work for free um, you know with wi-fi you could come and get a coffee and sit down and have a chat with your friends Uh, so it's kind of making those links with the community especially with young people so that as they get older they go oh yeah I'll pop into curve I feel really safe there that's my space as well as everybody else's. And that ties in rather nicely, doesn't it, to finding home Leicester's Ugandan Asian story at 50 uh, back in August 1972 when something like 10,000 Ugandan Asians who were kicked out of that country uh, came to Leicester and Leicestershire. Um, And it was really changing time for the city, taking Leicester out of what was a depressed time, really, 
and improving things for the better. And there are so many people and descendants of those people who came over in 1972 who have stories to tell. That's right. I mean, that was their lived experience. You know, they they were, as my family always like to put it, kicked out of Africa, um, which is always such a vague term. I mean, what does that actually mean to anyone? Kicked out of a country? If you imagine that now, you know, we look over at what's going on in the world and we see people literally getting kicked out. And I think a lot of young people in Leicester don't go, don't really make that link to their own grandparents or parents having been in a similar situation of being told to get out within 90 days, which is not a lot of time, leave everything behind, businesses, homes, cars, clothes, furniture, everything just gets left and you just jump on a plane and you arrive somewhere else and you've got to now live there. So to, to kind of go through that journey, um, it's such a, a an experience for us now as writers to be able to tell those stories and have them performed on stage. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. And you're absolutely right. The stories will resonate because of what's going on in the world today with asylum seekers, refugees and so on. So what are you asking of community members? What can they get involved in and how do they get involved? We have had a call out to local communities to come and share their stories to start off with. And we've had sessions in Belgrave Library, Rushy Mead Library and St Barnabas Library as well. The, the writers are there, the director's been there and people have literally come in and sat down, had a cup of tea with us and told us their story. And it's been amazing because for some of the people, they've actually never told anyone their story before. So to hear those moments and to hear the things that have happened, you know, have been so amazing and such an experience for us as the writers. And now obviously we are taking those stories and turning them, you know, moulding them into performance pieces that can be seen by an audience and the next thing we are uh, going to be doing is holding auditions for the show and I think one of the most exciting things about this is Finding Home is a community production. Absolutely everyone, all the actors, all the dancers, if there's any singing, any musicians, anything like that are going to be from the community and you check the dates, see if you can make it to as many rehearsals as you can and you can be part of it this time as well actually it's not just acting and singing and dancing but it's actually backstage roles as well so there's an opportunity hopefully for so many different people that may have never actually come into the building before. And the community productions have been so successful in so many different ways. And I think it's probably two or three years since the last one. I think it may have been Bollywood Jane, wasn't it? That was a while ago. And and I think that, that really is the thing, isn't it? We've had a point in our lives where we've not gone out to events like the theatre or to events where there are a lot of people. And it's inviting people back and saying, as long as we're safe and we do things carefully, we can be together again. And we can have different members from different communities all coming together, hopefully making friends as well as creating and performing these stories that are resonant to a Leicester audience because these are the stories of people in Leicester. Do you know, there are so many fantastic stories and we spoke briefly, didn't we, about some of the names in Leicester and Leicestershire that people will recognise. Those people who have made such an impact since arriving from Uganda in 1972 over the past 50 years. So it's going to be fascinating to hear those stories. The whole thing is going to be directed by a Leicester-based director, Mandeep Glover. 
and we know that it's going to take place from Friday the 29th of July to Saturday the 6th of August. But what sort of form will Finding Home take? At the moment, we have uh, three writers who are writing three short stories, so three short plays. And when I say short plays, I mean sort of like 40, 50 minutes. So, you know, you, you watch one chunk and there's no interval. That's the play. I am actually writing a show for young people. So the reason I chose to do that is because I didn't really know these stories. I st- I'm still learning these stories now and I'm, what, 35. And I never understood what my grandparents and my own parents had experienced. So I really want to kind of show to the young people in Leicester that, hey, did you know that maybe not your parents, but your grandparents actually, they were refugees. Did you know that? Because we hear that word refugee now. We don't think of our own families as being one of those because potentially we've been quite successful and done well so I think it's so important for that so my show is going to be for young people so that will be on um, in the daytime and then we'll have evening performances so they will be the kind of meaty juicy stories I think you know really kind of delving into what was going on but not just from the Ugandan Asian point of view But actually, what was the Ugandan African point of view on this? Were they kind of dancing in the street when we were leaving or were they sad? What was going on? Because what were the politics at play between these groups? You know, in reality, it's very easy for us to hear from grandparents and parents that, oh, it was so beautiful there. It was so hot. We had a lovely life. But actually, what was really going on? Let's let's get, get right down into the detail and the nitty gritty. So you've got Ashok Patel and Dylan Raithatha, who are writing, again, two short plays. And they will be on as a double bill. So one after the other, with a little interval in the middle. So that's kind of where we're at with those adult shows with I'd say a little bit more adult themes I think as well just really getting into the the detail of what happened in Uganda but equally what then happened to those people when they arrived in Leicester Um, that's also a really big part of the story as well and that's a really good point because there's an interesting conversation to be had about how the Ugandan Asians were received when they arrived here there's a well documented advert that was placed in the newspapers by the city council at the time effectively saying you're not welcome here that didn't necessarily reflect the general view of the people who lived here but this is an interesting conversation to have isn't it yeah absolutely because there were mixed messages you know you were getting these newspaper articles that said don't come the population were going what wow wonder why we shouldn't go there that that might be quite a good place to go oh and equally oh my whole family have gone there or I know everybody I know has gone there so that's where I want to be and then arriving here and then having that reception of welcome come and work come and build business and, and make a life for yourself what was it really like when they got here and I think that's quite, a, 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 again, another deep conversation to get into. And, and I really think that you can talk about it a lot, but actually seeing it on stage will make it come alive. And I think that is what's so amazing about it being a, a performances and plays rather than, you know, a, a book or an exhibition that we can watch. It's actually getting to see these stories come alive. And from your point of view, we've talked about some of the people that have had a major impact on life in Leicester, Leicestershire and the rest of the UK, who came over here with literally nothing and added value and brought so much to this country. 
as a, a grandchild of that generation, you must be really proud because the things that you've been able to achieve now, you would never be able to have done if it hadn't been for them. Yeah, really and truly, you know, sometimes I I look at pictures and I, and I think my life could have been completely different. You know, well, it not could have been, it absolutely would have been because I, I doubt very much if, the, if, you know, the politics of Africa hadn't gone the way that they had that we would have never left and therefore I would either still be living there or in India. Uh, so it's fascinating, isn't it, when you think mm. about your own life and I think that's why I'm so keen on writing a show for young people because I think they don't know that and I actually never knew that growing up and now I'm appreciating it more because uh, we're not taught it in schools and so it's kind of going how do we learn the st- the you know the real stories of our history uh, so yeah it, it is a lot to be thankful for and and to understand the sacrifices that were made so that we could have this life now it's an exciting project and you can find out more by going to the curve website or by emailing finding home at curvetheatre.co.uk and who knows chandney some of these people may be involved through the audition process as performers or maybe even working backstage we say auditions but that's a very um brief term because actually everybody is welcome so as long as you can come to one of the sessions that we're we're running you know as an audition you're all welcome to come and we're not kind of going you can't be in it and you can everybody's welcome and we can find a role for you whatever you want to do so you know it's got it's 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 very open we are very open to having absolutely everybody from all walks of life as well yes this show is about ugandan asians but equally it's also about the african ugandans and also about the people of leicester that we're here to greet them so Mm -hmm. we need to make sure we represent absolutely everyone in this show um it's really important so yeah it doesn't you don't have to be an actor or a singer or a dancer or somebody who's a you know who's a backstage you know whiz we just want you to have a really good positive attitude and just come meet us and we'd love to have you on board so look out for it it's called finding home leicester's ugandan asian story at 50 with local community members invited to get creative and take part it runs from friday the 29th of july to saturday the 6th of august and chandney mystery thank you for talking to us well thank you for having me it's been great And finally, on this episode of Curving Conversation, Akram Khan's reimagining of the original story of Rudyard Kipling's much-loved family classic, Jungle Book, is coming to Curve from the 2nd to the 9th of April. Mowgli's journey is brought right up to date through the eyes of a climate refugee. Featuring an original score, 10 international dancers and state-of-the-art animation and visuals, Jungle Book Reimagined is a beautifully compelling and relevant piece of storytelling about our intrinsic need to belong and bond with others and placing the importance of connecting with and respecting our natural world at its heart. So let's talk to the multi-award winning artistic director and choreographer Akram Khan, MBE. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. I just want to take you back to your childhood, if I can, first of all, because it's been clear to me that from a very early age, both dance and particularly the Tales of the Jungle book had an influence on you because you played Mowgli, I think, when you were 10 years old, didn't you? I did, yeah. I mean, it was quite an extraordinary um, experience because it was a dance drama production, but uh, what was extraordinary about it was a lot of the young adults who were 
forming in it were, uh, you know, eventually became like giants in their own field, in their own uh, uh, discipline. So I was this little boy, you know, who was playing the young Mowgli. There was an older Mowgli too in the second half, but I played the young Mowgli. But it was just beautiful to be amongst so many extraordinary uh, Indian classical dancers, which really influenced and inspired me at the time. But yeah, Jungle Book, Jungle Book has always been very close to my heart because of that. And also Pandit Ravi Shankar's student who Pandit Ravi Shankar was mentoring during Jungle Book, his student actually composed the music. So there was a real connection with him too. The Jungle Book started as a collection of stories, not as one book. Were you aware of the tales even before you played Mowgli? No, I wasn't really. It was only when I dug deeper to do my own production that I started to realize actually there was a lot. It's a much bigger book. I mean, Disney took one part of it and that was of Mowgli. But Jungle Book is steeped in uh, lots of different narratives that interweave through and around each other. A lot of it, which Rudyard Kipling said, was um, taken from a lot of the traditional myths from India. This is your first production as a director. How does that feel? It doesn't feel any different, really. I like to think my work is more cinematic, so I, I kind of have always felt like a director. A choreographer in this sort, in some sorts, is a director. The only difference I would say is that with this production, we actually have a script. In all my work, I've never really started with a script. And somehow this script, I realised, is, is a kind of spine of the show. Usually our script emerges through the work and even then it's the script that I'm talking about usually is not text. For a while I wanted to kind of change the direction of the process so I wanted to work with the script so it's exciting I'm learning new things and discovering new things but as a director I don't feel that's you know my role has changed. You've worked and collaborated with so many people over the years and just going back to your childhood again I mean, you worked with one of our greatest theatre directors of all time when you were just 13 years old. That was Peter Brook, of course. A kind of an incredible experience, too. Um, I think that that experience working with Peter Brook for over a year really shaped the way I saw the world. But it wasn't just about working with him. It was, I mean, he's a genius for sure, but it was the actors and actresses that he collected that really taught me so much. You know, those actors from different countries. And, you know, already they're, they're, it was so, so multicultural. It was... Um, there was African actors, there were uh, European actors, there were Indian actors and Japanese actors. So it, it was this collection of actors with so much wealth of knowledge. And as, as a 13 year old, all I did was literally absorb as much as I could. Um, even though I have to say, if I'm really being honest, I was terribly naughty. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm really, really naughty. I mean, um, the, when, I, when I meet them now, I mean, the stories they tell me that, you know, I, I, I just can't stop apologizing. But I wish I was older to some extent, being in that process, because I think I would have learned even more. But still, I feel blessed to have been in the presence of Peter Brook and his company. Let's not say naughty, let's just say cheeky and full of personality, shall we? Yeah, why not? <laughs> so over the years, goodness only knows how many rehearsal rooms you've been in, both as a performer and a choreographer, but you're in rehearsals now for this. Is it a process that you enjoy? I love being in process more than performing. Um, I enjoy performing, but uh, as I got older, I, I realised that, um, you know, my body's changing and I didn't enjoy the preparation for getting on stage, even though I enjoyed being on stage. So, there, you know, being on stage is something sacred. It's something, once you get the bug for it, it's very difficult to not want it anymore. 
that won't leave me. But I think the process is something I really enjoy uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm working with my imagination and it's, I don't have to worry about is my body tired or not. I'm working with other dancers. So that's their responsibility to a certain degree. But I feel like a child when I'm in the studio. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place to be. I mean, uh, I always say that um, being an artist is being like a child in a grown-up body. And the rehearsal room is, of course, you know, at the heart of that creative process. You have an incredible creative team on this project as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them, of course, I've worked with before. Michael Hull's the wonderful lighting designer. Sharon is uh, someone I'm working with for the first time as a dramaturg. Tariq Jordan is a dear friend of mine who is an actor and a writer, uh, but a very young writer in the sense that, you know, he, he's mostly been an actor and so he started writing recently. But uh, I love the way he thinks and I love his first piece that he wrote, a theatre piece. And I thought, you know, rather than get a, a very well-established writer, I wanted to work with a new writer. And um, if I'm reflecting on Jungle Book and I'm reimagining it, I wanted to work with someone who's sensitive and very, very conscious and aware of the politics of the world right now. And uh, if you talk to my children, they're even more connected to climate change and, and because they're the ones who are inheriting our mistakes. So I wanted to work with a slightly younger writer in a sense. And of course, we've got Gareth Fry, who's this amazing sound designer. We've got Jocelyn Pook, who's who I've worked with, who I love, who's a composer who worked on Dish with me and Dust and Nick, who has a team of wonderful animators. And we mustn't forget, of course, the incredible cast of 10 amazing dancers. But I just wonder why you wanted to present Jungle Book Reimagined right now. My daughter, who's eight, said, enough's enough, Papa. Every work that you make is so dark. So I thought, actually, I, I want to make work for young people, children and adults alike. And I didn't, I, and I kind of wanted to make something that did not neglect what's happening in the world today. Tell it in a way that was more magical, that could connect with young children. And so that, that was, yeah, Jungle Book felt very relevant, um, especially after reading Amitav Ghosh's book about climate change. It really kind of instigated me to do something, you know, with my work, with my, with, with my tools, the, uh, the tools of choreography. And so uh, Omidav Ghosh was, uh, I've read his books before, but this, there was one particular book that really spoke about climate change and how we need to do something about it. And so I was looking for a context. What narrative could I deal with that I could involve climate change and my concerns about it through my medium, which is dance. And so Jungle Book seemed the closest thing because I'm so familiar with it. Dance really can address the big themes, can't it? I think art can, yes. And dance, I feel, can embody and express stories in a way that is not ambiguous, but more metaphoric, that allows you to reflect rather than judge um, as an audience. So yes, dance has been a way to absorb so much heavy themes and yet be able to be poetic about it. So just give us an example then. Uh, how does your telling of the story differ from Rudyard Kipling's? One of the things that I, I try to do a lot in my work is change the lens with which the story is being told. So a lot of the Indian myths, or just myths generally, around the world have predominantly been written by men. So what tends to happen is there is a really patriarchal kind of perspective and viewpoint through which we experience that world that they're expressing. And even though Tariq Jordan is, is a man, 
who's the writer, um, Sharon, who's the dramaturg. Together, we wanted to be more sensitive to and aware of what is the viewpoint we want to show Jungle Book through. Because most of the characters are displaced because uh, the waters have risen. Whoever's left, uh, humans have gone to higher ground, whoever could survive. And so it takes place in the city where the waters are coming constantly and they can suddenly rise, but animals can hear when they're coming. So they're in safety in a way because they have, they're, they're still connected to listening to the earth in a certain way, whereas humans can't. So they're always caught by surprise. But all the animals are also displaced. And this is a piece you're going to take around the world because it carries important messages, doesn't it? It's about our relationship with the planet, our belonging, and of course, how we interact with others. The lesson in this work, I would say, is about listening. We've lost the art of listening. We've lost the skill of listening. When I say listen, I mean listening to our instinct. We trust technology more. True listening happens when you stop waiting to speak. And you know, I see that in my children. My children are listening to me because, but actually they're waiting to find the space to speak because they want to speak more. If we want to find our way through somewhere, we go to Google map. But what about our human instincts? Things that were inbuilt in us of how to navigate ourselves through this world. Is that why perhaps the arts dance in particular is more important than ever now because there is a time when people will sit in an auditorium and watch a performance and they will listen so they will take in what you have to say and it will cause them to go away and have a conversation with others about it afterwards the last ritual used to be eating with family mm -hmm. with friends but now when i eat with my family um, everyone's on ipad or iphone so theater seems to be the last refuge if you like where we do make a contract. The moment we buy the ticket, it's a contract to say, we're going to leave everything behind and we're going to give you our attention. There is this real sense of power when collectively uh, we listen rather than individually. And that still happens in theatre, which is beautiful. Now, of course, many people will have seen your work and the work of your company before. Some won't. It doesn't really matter because every time you bring a piece to the stage, you come with totally new ideas. You are an innovator, aren't you? You're very kind to say that. I, I try to, but I think for me, it's the audience is me. That's important to say, I think. Who do you make the work for? That's what I always ask when I'm mentoring a young artist, uh, whether they're a theatre director or a composer or a choreographer. Who are you making the work for? I'm making the work for me. I'm not making the work for a particular class of people. I'm not making the work for a particular generation. You know, if there's a thousand seats, then there's a thousands of me. And what do I want to see? I just want to ask you as well about your links to Leicester, because you've recently been named as a Deputy Vice Chancellor at De Montfort University. You're a former student there, of course. What sort of role is that for you? It's a really wonderful role. I mean, you know, I get to meet the students uh, when I can. And uh, if there's any support I can give, I try to give I'll be able to give some support. It's just staying in connection with the young students. I think that's really, really, really important, especially the first years, uh, the first year, but also the third years. But I mean, you know, it's, it's really about being available to give access to what I do. So perhaps it can be useful to them. Um, and it's not just for dance students. Huh? It's for many other areas in De Montfort University. It's not just for dance students. And I think that's really important, not just someone who speaks on behalf of De Montfort University, outside De Montfort University, 
But um, my most important thing that I feel and that I discussed with, with the team was that I want to stay very connected to the students there so I can I can be of service to some extent. And of course, you've had a very long-standing relationship with Curve as well. Um, how important has that been been for you? Because I think it's mutually beneficial, really, isn't it? Yeah, Curve is, is, is like my home away from home. You know, London's my home, but Curve is definitely my home too. I spent several years in Leicester and then when many years later when uh, a Curve came about and they invited me to, to be associated with it, it, it's just such an incredible space. It really is. And the team are fantastic and it's such a beautiful environment to work in. So to have that kind of infrastructure and that support is always a blessing, no matter how big or small you are as an artist, to have that kind of environment where the audience are open and generous and willing to go with you on it, willing to question what you do, is vital to the development of any artist. So I think the Curve has always been uh, really supportive. Don't forget, Jungle Book Reimagined is at Curve from Saturday the 2nd of April to Saturday the 9th of April. And Akram Khan, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Take care, Martin. And with that, I'm afraid we're out of time. Thank you so much for listening. But that brings to an end another episode of Curving Conversation. Don't forget, though, you can check out all of the other previous episodes and make sure you subscribe to the series so that you don't miss out in the future. Coming up next time, we'll be previewing some of the shows coming up in a season that has everything from Basil Brush to Craig Revel Hallwood, the Da Vinci Code to the School of Rock. So make sure you join me next month for some more Curving Conversation. Curving.